Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and today we have a special class. We have a three-week series where we're combining with another class at our church. This is the 222 class. It is, a, I guess, a class of young adults, whereas the Bridge Builders class is a class of maybe young marrieds with children, so we're the kind of class that's right above them in terms of age. Um, but a wonderful class, a, a class that many of whom were in our class at one point uh, and then started the class a few years ago, this 222 class, an excellent group of Christian men and women, and we're combining for three weeks to study on the topic of revival, and it's the idea that Today, the church um, is struggling with a lot of issues, and we are going to speak into those issues, cultural issues, um, people redefining the Bible and much of its theology, and we're going to start today with what we feel is an important part of revival, and that is conviction, both becoming convicted of one's own sin, but also uh, being convicted of the truth. And so uh, Eric Gentry and Kevin Betts will be leading this class today. I'm extremely excited about it. I think it's going to be wonderful. Then we'll be back two further weeks uh, together as a combined class for two more lessons. But today, let's go to Eric and Kevin as they teach on conviction. Yeah. All right, everybody. Hey everybody, why don't you wrap up, take about 15 seconds, wrap up your thought there, and we'll get going. As long as 15 seconds and uh, one is tricky. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, So our our topic for these three weeks, we may have not made this clear when we began, is revival. Revival. We're reflecting on how how might revival spark out among the people of God. Not not how might we produce revival, but how might God produce revival in us. Let me, I will point your attention to this Crossroads prayer book. You know, we talked about this in the last few Sunday mornings. You can pick these up out there. Uh, and, and I want to, even before we get into what we're going to talk about today, kind of step back and say that, you know, everything I've ever read about revival and how it's begun actually begins with prayer. You know, the people of God are, are caught up in prayer, and then the Spirit of God begins to move us towards conviction and clarity and some of the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks and today. But, but let me encourage you to pick one of these up if you haven't yet. It's a prayer exercise that this church is going to be involved in for the next 21 days. You're picking, praying over seven people in your life. So let me just add that as a primer. All right, so today we're talking about, as it relates to revival, that revival begins with conviction, specifically conviction about our sin before the glory of God. Can you all hear me? Do I need to be on a mic? How are we doing? Loud enough? Kevin doesn't like mics, so we're sticking over. <laughs> no, not well. Yeah, I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do think it's more uh, homey about it. So, uh, you know, what comes to mind is Romans 3.23, that all of sin involves the glory of God. And we tend to use that passage to talk about this kind of general idea, everybody sins, well, all of sin. But really what that passage is doing is putting up next to each other our sin and God's glory. So when I'm in the prison on our Wednesday morning Bible studies and I'm trying to explain the glory of God, I talk about LeBron James. And you know how the moment when LeBron James, every basketball game, whether he's at home or away, he goes and he grabs the chalk or the powder before the game. He takes like this and goes like that, right, and throws it up. And there's always a camera below him, and so the, the lights are coming down, filtering through that powder as it comes down. He's like this, and everybody's just caught up in this rapturous applause, right? Okay, that's glory, right? Okay, that's what's due God, even more so than LeBron James, right? And, uh, I mean, you know, glory is God's perfectness, his, his power, his creative power is put together, but 
create the world, it's his sending his son, it's all those things caught up into one, but if you were to say, like, what does glory look like? It looks like that. Okay. So what happens throughout Scripture is when people experience God's glory, when they come into contact with that scene, like that, what it, what it produces in them is this feeling of, whoa, I don't play ball like LeBron James. Right? Like, I, I am nothing like that. I'm sinful is the language that we would use. Like, I, I pale in comparison to that. So this is Moses' experience when God walks by and puts his hand over Moses because he can't bear the glory of God. He can't bear his skin. It's Paul's experience on the Damascus Road when he sees Jesus, resplendent, resurrected Jesus, and he falls down blinded. Right? And it's the experience of those at Pentecost as, as Peter is preaching, and they're all cut to the heart, it says. And they repent, and they're baptized at that moment because they've experienced the glory of God through Peter's preaching, and what they are convicted of is their sin. And so I'm reminded of Psalm 76, 7, but you, you are to be feared, God, but you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you? All right, we're doing a podcast. I'm going to turn this over to Kevin. We're going to hand this off throughout the day. Uh, the Bridge Builders podcast our um, lessons out, so we're just going to hand it off. All right, so like Eric was saying, there's these times that we experience in our lives, and you, which you can see in Scripture of people, okay, they see God, they see how glorious, how mighty, how wonderful, how perfect he is, and you, you introspectively then look at yourself and you realize you are not like that. And that's one way that we see our sin. Um, there's also another reality, though, that's kind of the opposite, in that because we're, we, just naturally we compare with one another. So whenever we are around other people that are like us, sometimes we can become blinded to the sins that we have because we all share them. And so you don't see that, you don't see what sin that might be because you're looking at it compared to other people like you. Um, so one example of that, there, there's this book that I was reading called Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Has anybody read that? It's one of his kind of popular ones, maybe not, clearly by no hands. Um, but anyways, in, in, one of, uh, in, one of his, <laughs> in one of his chapters, he's talking about greed. And what he says is, so he, he's a pastor at this church, and he mentions how in all of his years of being a pastor at this church, he has had people come and confess all sorts of sins, whether it be lust or adul uh, adultery or struggles with alcohol or with drugs or all of these other, you know, like big sins that we think of. But one thing that he has never had anyone in all of his years of ministry come and confess is their greed. And if you think about that, you look at our culture, we are surrounded by a culture that that puts money and, um, and fame and all of these things at such a high status marker that we're all trying to attain those things. And because everyone's trying to attain those things, we don't see how that doesn't fit in line with what God has for us. So there's, while there's also this sense of sin where it becomes very evident when we look at it in comparison to God, when we look in comparison with one another, sometimes we're blinded by this. Um, and I think that's why one reason that Paul writes in, in Romans 12 that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And it's only by the renewing of our minds and like a resetting of, the, of what is true that we're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It only comes whenever we're able to be renewed and transformed into what God's mind is, being given the mind of Christ, rather than just comparing ourselves with one another. Um, so there's kind of those two different categories of sin. Um, and so we're going to do discussion questions again right now. And so I handed out a sheet of paper to somebody in your group just because there's several different questions. Hopefully one of these questions will prompt you to answer more than another or whatever. Um, and so we'll, we'll spend the next five minutes or so going through those. So whoever has the sheet, if you'll just kind of read off the questions and then just go around your group. Go. So you can... 
All right. Take uh, 15 seconds, wrap up your thought, and we'll keep going. Okay, let's uh, let's jump back in. I think I'm recording. Okay, so if if you and and, and you know stay in your spots there, we'll because we'll discuss a little bit more. So if you experience your sinfulness before the glory of God, what's the response? Yeah, maybe shame, maybe maybe brokenness, sorrow, uh, but ultimately, like the active response is that Jesus calls us to is repentance, right? That's, that's the word he uses. So when Jesus comes in Mark 1, he says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. That's the first thing he announces. So what he's talking about is like, you're seeing now the glory of God before you. I'm, de- I'm bringing the kingdom of God into this world. So what that should do for you is lead you to repentance, okay? So that sounds really personal. When Jesus says repent for the kingdom of God has come near, it's actually plural. He's actually calling the community to repent. And so we want to talk about maybe like if, if repentance, this kind of personal experience of my sin before the glory of God, might lead to kind of a personal revival, the kind of corporate revival that I think God desires for this world would begin with, if personal revival begins with personal repentance, corporate revival would begin with what? Corporate repentance, right? It begins with recognizing the sinfulness or the brokenness of the world and calling on God to fix that by his glory. Um, I mean, I'm reminded of, so in the Great Awakenings, you know, um, nearly every Great Awakening began with prayer. That's certainly true of all of them. But the preaching, the language that was surrounding those Great Awakenings had to do with the sin of God's people. I mean, and and that's not necessarily encouraging, right? It's not like a lift me up, but it's convicting to experience the sin or the brokenness around me and call on God and his glory to fix those things. So I think, think about Jonathan Edwards and his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That sounds hostile to us, but what it did was provoke this massive revival because of the belief of the sinfulness of our broken world. I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. All right. And so like that corporate repentance and revival that he's talking about, people like Jonathan Edwards did, kind of calling people out of what they're doing, out of what is wrong in the world, back into what is right. That's something that you see all throughout Scripture. Um, if you look at any of the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, that's what the Old Testament prophets really were. That's their main purpose was they saw people, typically the like corporate you know, nation of Israel, acting in a way that God had told them not to. And they were the people in the minority that saw, okay, here's the way of God, and I've got to call these people back to that. And the language that's used is really harsh a lot of times. And so it, it's similar to what Jonathan Edwards and some others had done. Uh, one example of this, I mean, you can see this all throughout the, the prophets, but one example is in Isaiah 1. Um, what he uh, writes there is, wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of the widows. So what you see there and what you'll see in a lot of different places throughout the prophets is kind of the litmus test of where Israel is in in walk with God is what are the people that are most susceptible to injustices and where are they flourishing or are they being oppressed if somebody's susceptible to injustice what is their quality of life like 
And so I think that what we're called to do when you look at what Jesus tells his disciples to pray, part of the Lord's prayer is pray that the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, what, God, what Jesus is doing in that is he's asking us to pray into ourselves, having eyes to see and ears to hear where the world is not perfect, where it has not been completely brought back to God. Um, and I, I wanted to give just two examples of where I feel like God has done that for, for me and where I've seen kind of corporate sin at work. And then what I'm still working through is what can I do to join in that to bring the kingdom of God here? Um, so one is, uh, first is example of where I see racism in the world. Um, so one personal example of this is, uh, I don't have to introduce him, but Rico, many of you know Rico. Um, so one of the times that he's lived uh, with, with me and Shelby, we were both at work. And uh, when we were away for the day, uh, ended up finding out about this later, but he was talking on the phone, walking down the sidewalk in our neighborhood. Neighbors called the police saying that there was um, an a strange man casing the the houses in our neighborhood. And so he had two cop cars pull up on him. They made him explain his entire, you know, life story, basically. Then when he told them that he was living with us, they made him prove that he could get into our house with the key that he had. And that wasn't enough. They made him use the uh, gate code to get into our backyard to be able to get in. Later found out from our neighbor that after they finally left him, they went to our neighbor and asked her if she had ever seen him before. And it wasn't until she vouched for him that they went away. So you got neighbors calling on on, uh, people just for talk on the phone in the neighborhood. Um, And then just that disbelief of, uh, or distrust of someone saying what they say is true. Um, What that made me realize is I could go to any street in the county talk on my phone and never once get the cops called on me. Um, so you see very, very blatantly where there's racism there. Uh, and then the other one real quick is just about our uh, desire to help the poor and the needy. Um, so we had this uh, group from Uganda stay with us one time. Um, they, they, they were singing and trying to raise money for uh, them to go back and be able to go to university back in Uganda. And one of the chaperones that was there, he was around our age, so we got pretty close and we're talking each night. And at this point, they had been in the U.S. for five to six months, staying at different people's homes every three or four days. And one of the things that he was amazed at was pets. The idea of pets was fascinating to him. Um, And one of the things he said to me one night is he goes, Kevin, the animals in your country have more rights than the people in mine. And so, I mean, you hear that and like you can't help but your heart break over that. Um, Because what's true is not that just they have more rights than the people in Uganda thousands of, of miles away but people that we drive by each day that also don't have homes or beds, yet our dogs and cats have houses and beds. So you see like where there is sin corporately, um, those things become very abundantly clear in times like that. Um, those, those are ways that he's given us eyes to see and ears to hear. Um, so now on the next section, so this section two, y'all are gonna uh, discuss kind of some questions around that. So y'all go ahead and discuss. Yeah, middle section. <laughs> All right. Um, so I think just due to time, we're probably not going to be able to get to the next discussion questions. Um, but we don't really want to leave y'all like in, you know, depression and like, you know, heartache, <laughs> like, like all, all of these, you know, things. So unfortunately, maybe unfortunately, we can't get to the discussion. Um, I think that, I think that whenever we're, we're um, confronted with our own sin, both personally and corporately, I think that somebody said earlier uh, reaction like the reaction is shame. 
And I think that that's true in a sense. I think that there's two different types of shame that we can experience. I think there's toxic shame, which would be something like what Adam and Eve did whenever they're confronted with their sin. They go and they hide in their shame and they, they, they hide from each other and from God. And then when they're confronted, they blame one another um, rather than ad- admitting the thir- their own sin. Um, and then I think also what you see in scripture, and then we all can think of times in our life when you have a healthy shame that calls you into reaching out to God and to others. You look at like David, whenever he's confronted about his sin, um, he writes Psalm 51 and he clearly goes before God asking for God to change his heart. Give, give me a clean heart, oh God. Um, or you see something like Zacchaeus, whenever he's confronted with his greed and how he's been taking advantage of people, after spending time with, with Jesus, he realizes what he's done and he gives back fourfold of whatever he had taken from anybody. So in both of those examples, people are drawn not away from one another, but towards God and towards the community. Because um, the reality is you can't experience healing from the sin that you have outside of community. You, you just can't. It, it, we were made that way in a way that we can't experience it outside of being in connection with other humans and with God. Um, and so I think that looking as kind of as we're wrapping up, like what gifts have you been given or what experiences do you have to be able to help the church in revival as it relates to conviction over our sin? So as, as we think about revival, this is our theme verse for this, this, um, these three weeks. Let me share this with you because it speaks to the, the source of revival, you know, the experience of our brokenness but ultimately the source of that revival. And this is from Isaiah 65. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on them and to our God and he'll freely pardon. Um, I think the idea that we want to conclude with is, as we lean into next week, is as you experience your personal brokenness, sinfulness, as you encounter the brokenness or sinfulness of the world, what that does is it maybe kind of sets your head spinning and it makes you seek meaning and purpose, explanation. I think, for instance, you see this with the El Paso shooter who re- realized there was brokenness in the world as it relates to race and stuff and went searching for meaning. And where did he go searching? He went to online forums where there was all this hate and vitriol, and that's what formed him. And I, I think it speaks to that as, as the world, this world that we desire for revival to take place in, encounters their brokenness and the brokenness of the world around them, they're going to go looking for meaning. And so what we hope, according to Isaiah, is that they turn to God. And then the way that they turn to God in this life is through his body, the church. Right? And so we're, we're, we are the visible representatives of God giving meaning and ultimately clarity to the world. And so next week, what we're going to talk about is our clarity. What do we believe, and how do we communicate to that to the world that experiences their sinfulness and then goes looking for meaning and purpose? And then the the week after that, we'll be talking about community. So again, the church is going to play a big piece in that. Um, That's all we've got. I want to end our time with prayer, unless there's any other announcements before we go. Yeah, let me say thanks for being here today. Thanks for uh, talking and breaking up from maybe your spouse or significant other or your friend and going to these groups and it being awkward for a second. But you got to know some people you didn't know. Thanks for playing along with, with that. I hope you'll come back next week. You'll get to meet some new people and we'll continue in conversation, getting to know each other better. And also as we're um, thinking about revival together, I challenge you to be praying for that this week. Let's pray in that spirit. God, we love and adore you. You are a generous and loving father. May you look on us in kindness and graciousness, though we're sinful. 
May you, through your Son, spark a revival amongst us that would spread from this place to the world around us. And may this church be strong for your sake, for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. See y'all.